Welcome to the Mechanics of Storytelling. In this podcast, we talk with different storytellers across various mediums about how they tell their stories in their chosen mediums, the mechanics, the techniques, and the processes. Welcome. This is Ezra Justin Lee, your host on the Mechanics of Storytelling podcast. And I'm really excited because today we have a special guest. He is a director of photography at Wong Fu Productions. He's also a freelance DP. Uh, that's a cool way of saying director of photography and cinematographer. His name is Chris Yang. So welcome, Chris. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me, Ezra. Um, wow. I mean, it's it's always interesting when people are like introducing, introducing me. I mean, it, it feels weird, but um, yeah. I'm glad to be. I'm glad to be uh, on this podcast. Uh, thanks for connecting. Um, yeah, and I'm open to to share as much as I can about about me. Absolutely. Know. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for being on the show. Like, but first of all, like, how how are you doing? Like, are you just doing? Okay? I mean, it's pandemic world right now, so everything's like kind of up upturned. But how are you doing? I'm I'm doing uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I think I'm definitely I'd say I'm doing better than uh, I guess most people who are working in this industry especially yeah. especially because like through Wong Fu I am I do have a more permanent role versus like yeah. people who are always freelancing and uh, especially how like a lot of the productions have have halted people yeah. like that that's their you know that's their paycheck I don't have to chase some of those things per se at the moment, I know that there are a lot of actually cinematographers who are far more like higher up, but um, a lot of them are starting their own podcast. Roger Deakins, Sir Roger Deakins, he has this very popular okay. podcast um, and he interviews various people in the industry. So, yeah, it's interesting to see cinematographers kind of share some of their own experiences. But yeah, a lot of them are kind of coming out of there because uh, like a lot of times cinematographers tend to I, I i guess they tend to be more some i guess uh can be pretty introverted and not share too much or talk too much and it's interesting to see some cinematographers try to be creative with different i guess avenues outside of film. but yeah um, you kind of have to right now with the with the pandemic right you have to like try a lot of different new things try a lot of different things but uh all in all i, I think i'm doing i'm doing well try to try to be on top of you know staying at home and and yeah. we, we do have we've had some shoots actually there was a shoot yesterday it was a, it was a sketch but yeah we'd worked on some worked on a commercial during during covid19 i'm doing better than than most people yeah yeah what a blessing that you you know have still have a steady job that is creative it's a creative job and it's mm -hmm. something you like that's that's amazing man i'm, yeah. I'm really thankful for you um yeah also like i noticed you guys have been pretty prolific you guys meaning like wong fu productions even during 2020 uh that's kind of amazing in itself yeah how, how have you all been doing that during this year because nobody else has really been like producing content and all that stuff it's an interesting thing where um i know like early on like around march well we we actually had quite a number of things that were we were trying to line up um i know I know for the company, I think we were trying to definitely take on even more and more bigger projects. 20, 2019 really set us up 
to to take on those bigger things. Um, we were doing a few sketches. One actually did pretty well. It was a parody of to all the to all the boys too. That one did <laughs> fairly well, and that was a fun thing. We integrated like scenes from Parasite. Um, that won Best Picture that year, and it was a big it was a big thing. I think a lot of that the uh, you know the awards also kind of lit a fire under us. But yeah, and then uh, we we shot up we shot a commercial. I think it was for McDonald's, but then it got released. It actually wasn't even. It was weird. It it wasn't actually ever released. I don't think. Uh, it because huh. when it was coming out, it was around the time where there was a stay at home order, so it didn't incentivize or it wouldn't be. It'd be kind of tone deaf if if I guess if McDonald's were to release it and hey, encourage people to go to their restaurant. Um, wow. But yeah, and then. And then we, 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 we were cycling through, we, we tried to do some remote productions where we did a lot of like virtual stuff, but mm -hmm. um, different aspects. We, our talk show, we, we did it virtually. It was definitely hard. You yeah. lose a lot of the production value, but we, we tried to stay creative. And I know that there were certain things that we did. There was a script about, I think it's called The Spring We Never Had. Yeah. And yeah. it was just about, it was about students who like never really got to experience the whole senior year, you know, prom and, and yeah. probably like, Hey, this would, this would have been my year to get to know somebody that I like. And yeah. um, that never really happened. So that, that, those are stories that we explored. Initially we were being very delicate because I think mm -hmm. we're fairly public facing uh, production company versus like other people that, you know, you do, you, you pitch, and then you hopefully land that that production with that client. Right. Um, but like we're a fairly public facing uh, company, so we're always being delicate on mm -hmm. seeing how we're not being too reckless or careless, especially of how how severely it's been panning out in this country. Absolutely, that's like so important. And I think it seems like you and your team are able to do that because the mm -hmm. turnaround time. Uh, between like starting, producing, post-production, and then actually releasing is actually quite quick. And so that's why I was really shocked that you all were able to make content actually about and in the context of the of like the pandemic, whereas mm -hmm. other studios that are really big, they're like already like releasing these shows that they recorded like months and months and months and maybe even years ago that have nothing to do with the current state of life now, right? And so I feel like it actually speaks more closely to like what life and emotions and experience people are having mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, yeah, cause like, I think this is what, uh, I guess what we do fairly well is because we are this kind of a hybrid production company where we can, we can do stuff fairly DIY or we can do stuff fairly quickly in a mm -hmm. short period of time. And since we work with a lot of similar people, we do have certain levels of shorthand. I tend to know what equipment that we're using more since we're using it pretty often and yeah. um it just comes down to you know having a pretty good script we're all like on board and we can really try and make it happen and we are uh non-union so it is a little bit easier in terms of paperwork and whatnot but like a lot mm -hmm. of those bigger stuff you, there's a lot of hoops to go through we are actually pretty proud of how because we do have our company does have roots in youtube and in, yeah. in the digital media sphere before like this whole a crossover between traditional and, and digital media, but uh, but we also have people like me and uh, producer Benson who come from a more traditional, you know, filmmaking background. So 
we we try to mesh those things together. I think it's been doing pretty well. Yeah, I think so too. I, I also noticed that the content has changed over time. Like it's mm -hmm. less shorter, laughy, comedic stuff. And now it's like mm -hmm. kind of longer form, like short film type of stuff. It's mm -hmm. very moving, it's very emotional. Mm -hmm. um, it's beautiful still in a different way. But I, I noticed that transformation as well, that kind of evolution. But at the same time, at the core, I what I re appreciated throughout that whole thing is that you you focus on Asian American stories, uh, mm -hmm. which is not something you find across the board, but something that I mm -hmm. think is really important. Yeah, the Asian American. That's yeah, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I think we do try and stay pretty close to that as mm -hmm. our, I guess, guiding mission. I, I think that's kind of why we've been around for for this long. I mean, way before. I mean, I joined. I joined only. I'd say uh, five years ago, uh, but I didn't start really doing a lot of the cinematography stuff until like maybe three years ago, two and a half years ago. But oh wow, um, yeah. So it's it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty recent shift in terms of like where I wanted to to pursue in terms of creatively as a career. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because I'm interested in your origin story. I know you studied film and television in college. But then, yeah. like, how did you specifically get into what you're doing now, uh, photography, cinematography? Um, actually, it's interesting. I uh, I did um, even before college. I was uh, my I went. I was very privileged to go to a private school that had that had actually quite a bit of a footing in terms of television production. So I did go into that space more, and a lot of it was just like. There wasn't like a formal structure in terms of filming or or storytelling, but like because of the lack of that, it created this need or desire to, you know, uh, go and shoot your stories to find a bunch of your friends and then go and tell your stories to sometimes the short films, sketches and, and, and whatnot. I think this is pretty common if you really want to tell stories. Um, right. And then and then um, I applied to film schools. I uh, didn't get into some of the some of the ones that I really wanted to the the the, the USC's UCLA's the NYU's, mm -hmm. um, but I I went to so I went to Boston University and that was interesting. I guess I didn't know too much about the film program as I was going through it. it they're very focused on um, like screenwriting and 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 document documentary uh, filmmaking. But I guess with film school, you you are there for the network more so than I'd say the learning the process of filmmaking. I guess right, I feel like right. you get more of that education from being on set out of the out of the schooling world. For sure. Actually, back then I actually started. I was doing. Uh, I was DPing actually a lot of my classmates' projects. Um, I wanted to be a director. Uh, actually, I think everybody who goes into film school wants to be a director. <laughs> Uh, so I, I was DPing for a bunch of third-year student projects and and stuff like that, and sometimes I wanted to direct, and then people were like, no, 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 I think you should you should be the DP. I think it was so I did a, a number of that uh, those projects where I was DPing other mm -hmm. people's uh, work. Yeah, and then I just did that, and then I also studied East Asian studies. So that I, I think that oh, cool. helped in terms of where my interests were, and in, in terms of like understanding this like there's that asian i mean asian americans different from east asian studies but right i've always had that drive to really try to 
uh, understand representation and not only representation, mm -hmm. but seeing how those authentic stories can be told. In college, I, I shot a few short films that I, I did outside of school, and then I did a, a feature film I did outside of school as well. But, uh, you know, you cast and you try to do the budget. I did a few things in, in LA. Um, they had an internship program. I did some of, I tried to like check off the boxes of things that, because I, I felt like create, doing the creative route you not sure about where it will go and you know you know parents are concerned about like you know your <laughs> income and, and and the viability of that as a as a career um asian household but yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> so then i did that you know i went i did the stuff in the offices so, you know you know distribution going through that route and then going mm -hmm. through production side but in the office development I, I even worked at a, I interned at a commercial house. So just oh, seeing wow. like different things, yeah. uh, trying to get my feet wet. After all of that, I think Wong Fu was looking for interns. They were looking specifically for an assistant editor. Okay. Um, okay. And I applied. They they liked the the, the, the stuff that I, I did in college. Awesome. And it brought kind of a different tone, I guess. I, I, I tend to shoot a little more serious stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I was at Wong Fu, did some assistant editing work. And then kind of, I know Wesley Chan was more of the, the camera person. He was more taking an off-hands approach. And then mm -hmm. I started to fill that position. After a few projects that I shot, I really said, oh, I actually really want to make this a thing. So I'm going to really go at it as much as I can like 100 100 percent and that involved like studying up on lighting studying up on wow. you know images and going on podcasts reading a lot of papers or books yeah. on on lighting and uh and then trying to implement those things into those projects yeah, yeah. that's awesome it sounds like you're trying a lot of different things at first first mm -hmm. through like your own independent projects and then even in like more formal capacities like uh, in smaller production roles or even like different parts of the production in, in like formal jobs. Mm -hmm. But then eventually like you found the thing that you really love and you like mm -hmm. uh, and you learned as you went, right? So it, it doesn't yeah. sound like you went through the formal schooling that a lot of people do. You you kind of taught yourself through resources that you had. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I thought I thought I would get it through school, but then I realized, oh, it's not it's not cut out. It's not cut out for maybe my way of trying to acquire those, those, right. those things. Yeah.
So, okay, so, so this is something that I'm curious about because when I was like trying to be a rock star, I realized like most people can't be a rock star and you have to actually be a starving musician for many, many years before you even have a chance of that. It sounds like you went through your own version of like the gruel and like the hard times and like mm-hmm. you really like pushing. Like what what got you through that? Because it sounds like you've you've been you were doing it for a while before yeah. you landed on the thing you really love. I still have like imposter syndrome. I still <laughs> uh, some level of it. Um, but I think like every time where you're kind of uh, hitting these blocks, like there are times where I'm in college, like shooting feature film and. You know, Boston's winters are are are, are not very pleasant. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice way of putting it. Um, but yeah, it's like, why am I waking myself up, or like, how am I trying to convince some of these people? And some of these people I didn't pay, you know, and some people were doing it as favors. And like, how mm-hmm. do I convince people to, you know, make those call times and and like, oh, we we have to shoot this you know, we have to start really early, 6 a.m. Or, or something and, and get those call times. But I, I think it was more of like, I, I don't know if it's like anxiety, but it was definitely mm. feeling like you wanted more control over things that you clearly don't. You don't have control over <laughs> your career. Yeah. You know, you, you might be the trajectory in a way, or uh, but you don't have control over the outcome. Right. You, you know, you go in with a lot of control and then feeling a way in which like, oh, I guess it's okay to, to not have so much, so much control over that. And mm-hmm. I think that that ended up encouraging me, hey, uh, you know, it's all right. I came in thinking like, oh, I, I know everything, right? And then, right. And then you, you start being put in your place when you're on other people's stuff, you try out different things. You're like, okay, this is not working. This is not how it's supposed to be done. Coming from a person who loves or is a very curious person and, you know, mm-hmm. loves learning new things, loves being, I guess, a student. I think that was further uh, encouraging me to, to try and go against these things. I see. Still, I think I'm still going through it, but I think I'm, I feel like I'm in like the minor leagues, you know, yeah. uh, I think that, you know, uh, maybe triple A ball. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's like, just maybe a, a notch below, but mm-hmm. it's working towards that. Yeah. I mean, despite whatever league you think you're in, it sounds like you're having fun and you're like producing really beautiful work. So that's like, mm. that's fucking cool. And I also <laughs> think like what you're saying is, if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like uh, you, in the beginning, especially when you thought you knew everything and you could control more than you actually could, you realize that actually I don't control everything. And when mm. you realize that you kind of came to terms with what you could control, which was like learning and being curious. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it, it does sound like you had fun over yeah. over your experience which is really she's really important yeah i think a part of it is definitely having fun i think my my girlfriend always like she's always kind of amazed that like like mm-hmm. for instance if you had all the money in the world and you could do anything that i would still be willing to do the things that i do for free in that situation but yeah um yeah it's definitely one of those things where I, I, she was saying like not a lot of people uh are able or willing to do certain things that they love to the point where they uh would do things at a discount, you know, yeah. or do things at a lower pay, you know. Yeah. I think that's a really good way of framing it, especially because the Mega Millions jackpot is like a billion dollars right now. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes me think like, oh, if I won that, like, what would I actually do? And so framing it in the way you did, it yeah. makes a lot of sense. Like, what would I yeah. do if, if I had Yeah, freedom? like, I don't know if uh, I would change. Maybe I would 
Uh, yeah, I don't think uh, maybe maybe make me feel a little lazier just for a little bit. But um, <laughs> I, I don't think it would really change where I want to be or like uh, and how to get there. Wow. Okay, that's cool. Thanks for thanks for opening up. That's really yeah. um, that's really awesome. Let's let's switch gears a little bit, and and I'm really curious about a little bit more of the technical stuff because okay. you're like literally the first DP I've ever talked to in my whole life. So this is really special <laughs> for me. You're popping my cherry. Could you walk me through maybe like your most recent project or your most favorite project and walk me mm -hmm. through what it looks like from beginning to end in terms of like what you have to do technically and then mm -hmm. what kind of decisions you have to make along the way? Well, first and foremost, it's a, it's a very collaborative thing. Like you can't, it's very difficult to be a director of photography or a cinematographer by yourself. And huh. I think I think that's the, the that's one of the key differences between this and say being a photographer or being a uh, videographer because as a cinematographer you have to if you don't have control over the, the the things that are around you you have to find ways to get as much of it under your control right. uh, in terms right. of like creatively as a cinematographer normally you have a, you're a department head you run a camera department you run a a lighting department and you run a grip department mm -hmm. or electric and grip you have to kind of communicate what you what it is that you want to do uh to you know to help you know fulfill what the director needs right, right. Uh, and that means so you with the camera department you're choosing where to place the camera how to operate it you know if there's movement you know and whatnot kinds of filters lens choices and that that stuff and then with the, the, the electric department, figuring out your lighting plan, like how to control your lights and the types of lighting that you want to use or, wow. for, or you're given this lighting package. You have to figure out how you're going to light the, uh, the scenes. Like if it's a multi-day shoot, then it's like, mm -hmm. if I start lighting it this way, it has to continue in some, some sense of uh, continuity and later right. on in, uh, you know, for story and tone. And then you have your grip department, which is they support a lot of these other departments in the sense like sometimes you need to put your camera in this like precarious place. Oh, wow. You have the grip department to the, they, they're a lot of time they're, they rig things, temporary structures to, to help assist. And they're also mm -hmm. there to help shape the light. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a collaborative thing, but it's also, you also need to know your tools. So it's a very technical position, collaborative, very technical. And then you have to make it look like it's artistic or you have to make it look like it's creative or like there is a creative uh, vision. Yeah. I see. So how intentional are you from the get-go? Do you start with like an image in your mind of how you want to compose the shot? Mm. And then do you say like, okay, this is what I want. And you talk to the director and then you try to recreate that image in your mind mm. through electric, through grip, through camera, or mm. do you just kind of like figure it out as you go and you're like, hey, actually that looks good. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think there's a little bit, uh, I think it depends on the project, the turnaround is and how much pre-production there is. Uh, mm -hmm. I think for sketches, I think that's less so of a, of a priority in terms of, oh, I need to get it to look this way. I think a lot right. of it is just lighting the set and, you know, try to get, get through it quickly. But if right. it's like, um, a series of, for instance, we did, um, you know, Yappy, we did dating after college or, yeah. uh, so let's say, let's say dating after college. And that was a seven episodes, but they're like 12 to 15 minute long episodes. That's um, the web series, right? 
Yeah, it was a web series, mm-hmm. and it was between uh, two yeah two recent college graduates. They're trying to get into the dating world after college with the help of their best friends. Uh, so that's pretty much it. And then each episode kind of explores different scenarios of oh, you know the pros and cons of that. With so with that one, the director he would give me uh, Taylor. He would give me certain images. Uh, we would try to create a mood board. I think this is pretty common for like more bigger projects or certain commercials. Mm -hmm. Like if the director is very visual, Mm -hmm. uh, they'll come in with mood boards. I might present some of my own images of what I'm thinking. It comes back to the script. So I guess we could start there. We read the script. As you're reading, you just kind of do a read through, uh, not think too much. And then usually from that first read through, it might create certain feelings that you get, uh, certain emotions that you get. And then what images in your head that you associate with those, those emotions, right? And then, right. and then you would read it a few more times. And then that's when, you know, you think about how to break down the script and, and uh, thinking about, oh, what is feasible? What's not feasible? Those are where the discussion starts to happen, you know, with your producer wow. and your, your uh, production manager and the I director. See. So that's when you kind of align on what kind of mood or image or feeling you want to get through the shots with your director. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's cool. So then um, from there, uh, I think he gave me, uh, the director, uh, so Taylor, Taylor Chan, he uh, sent me a playlist that he used when he was writing the script or co-writing the script. And cool. uh, this playlist um, definitely creates certain emotions that uh, on top of whatever you're reading. Right. Um, and uh it, sometimes even music can can somehow subconsciously create even like what colors you want to use. You know, there are certain there are certain I guess there are certain colors that you associate with certain sounds and sure. and, and whatnot. And obviously, colors with emotions. And from that, I, I I sense that I think color will play a play a role. I mean, in the final product, there was definitely a lot more uh, use of of color and coloring, shelling the lights. Yeah, uh, more color contrast, and then being, and then in the color grading process, going a little bit stronger in mm-hmm. some of the, you know, the the saturations and and uh, contrast. From there, then you know, when things start to get, uh, I guess, uh, closer and closer to when you're about to shoot, you usually in the, around this period of time for me, we do a shot listing. We uh, list out the shots. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll start it. Sometimes the director, uh, if he or she wants specific things, she'll start it. Or we might cover, like, what is the most basic things that we need to cover a scene? Uh, and then, oh, do we need to add certain things that on top of those things? And it, I think shot list helps us guide time. You know, I think that's, that's, the, that's the number one thing that cinematographers always uh, deal with or sometimes have challenges with is... Uh, time and it's usually the lighting that usually takes the longest if 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 this if you don't know what you're doing lighting can can mm-hmm. slow down the whole set oh you mean like the time of the day because it it's it will dictate how much sunlight you get oh, Is no, that what that, you mean? that's time? one thing no i'm saying like setting up lights just like the fact oh, that the, you're lighting the scene up. yeah okay uh so that yeah. that that can be and you're you're juggling oh where to place the camera and and whatnot but uh, so this is the part where, so a shot listing, and then uh, we go into something called the uh, a, a scout or location scouting, uh, tech scouting, 
Um, so you go onto these locations that are possible places that you're going to shoot. Because for a lot of our stuff, or at least in dating after college, we we don't do any uh, big set builds. We or we shoot on a studio, so we go to physical yeah. locations to shoot. Um, sure. sure. And uh, so we go there, and then we say, "Oh, is this feasible? This is within our budget." And how do we, how do we, you know, how do we make it look the way we wanted to make it look? And can it happen? And uh, we also, because we went through the shot list, uh, we can already start to map out, oh, where we might place the camera, where uh, potential blocking would be, character blocking will be, um, and then staging the the, the camera. Uh, so then the, a lot of those things, you get a like you also uh, when you're on location be like oh in the images i thought the window was coming from one side i thought there was you know like these lights would be able i would have more control okay i don't have control so what i need to be able what tools do i need to bring to that location right and then one other thing is that uh if there are a lot of windows you also have to know where the sun's going to be at different times of the day oh my um, gosh you're like balancing all sorts of things yeah. in your calculations as you're yeah. scoping out the place so sometimes you'll suggest hey uh this is like i guess a little bit further down but like when they're scheduling the the, the, the day right um mm -hmm. you sometimes you have to you, you you know you have priority is always the talent you know talent's always priority but then if mm -hmm. you do have wiggle room it's like hey i think it would be best this is the time of day that if we want to get it to look like this this is right. probably the best time of day. So is it possible to, you know, shift these two things around? And then, yeah. And then when you're on set, all of this falls apart. So <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you do all this prep work and it falls apart. Um, but uh, you try to, you try to, uh, I think I feel fairly happy about myself if like with the team that I have uh, and we're able to, get it as close to uh, some of those lighting plans that we did or preps that we did. And it, it means that, oh, we knew what we were doing and we were able to adjust if those things didn't always pan the way they did. Sometimes a scene took longer than it needed to, or not longer than it needed to be, but like sometimes the scene took longer uh, than originally thought or like, uh, maybe oh they realize oh we love the lighting let's get more coverages let's uh, coverage is mm. like uh, um, it's just how you want to cover a scene so you might go into more right. angles and framing um, and yeah and I, I think I think that's kind of how that sh shoot would normally go so so all the pre-shoot planning sometimes will fall apart but it helps you to roll with the punches and to kind of extemporaneously like riff as you go when things change right it's that's what it sounds like yeah i i think like with that one we had we definitely had a lot of we, we scouted a lot we spent like two weeks scouting so um there was a lot of prep time so it definitely makes you making sure that you you really plan out a lot of those things and like on top of the shot list that, that's also a time where we we would, or I would create like an overhead, which is kind of like an like a top-down bird's eye view of the location, and then you know, kind of like a blueprint. And then you would be mm -hmm. like, okay, this is mm -hmm. where the camera is going to be, uh, how the camera is going to move, maybe where the talent is going to be, and then how they're going to move within the scene of blocking. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. um, there are windows here. Do we need to? 
black out these windows. Uh, I think that also helps like anybody who's visual, it helps like get everybody on the same page. I, I know I'm saying wow a lot, but it's because I'm legitimately surprised and amazed <laughs> at how much planning, how much like uh, to the T yeah. that you're like detail that you have to account for. That's this is amazing. Yeah. So it, let me kind of recap from the beginning. It sounds like you do a mood board with the director. You make sure the mood that uh, you're trying to convey a revoke through your piece is aligned with the directors once that's ascertained then you you're going through the elements of the story and deciding how you want to actually frame and shoot those mm -hmm. parts of the story and then once that's figured out then you go location scout to figure out uh, which location is best to capture these parts of the story and once that's good then you do planning about lighting at these specific locations yeah. at these specific scenes and so forth mm -hmm. and then when things fall apart because they do or things change uh, the planning helps you to kind of pivot and move yeah because right? like uh that, 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 that's a very great way of uh summarizing I, I think i was like going in different directions but um yeah that was great uh no that's it was great the detail you were providing was like making images in my head uh -huh. and i just wanted to make sure what i was saying or what i was understanding was mm -hmm. in line with what you're thinking yeah. it sounds like that's really cool but also really involved yeah so now when i watch stuff i'm gonna appreciate it more like oh my god like this must have taken so much planning that lighting is very intentional and so forth and so forth what's something that you're always trying to work with is uh, you know you have the assistant director who is not a, it's not a creative position even though the name has the word director in it so they're known as the AD and their job is to hmm. make sure everything is running on schedule during the days oh, during the shoot days okay. they know how the time should be allocated and then if there's if you're quick to wrap out of this scene and the, so that means you might be ahead. Okay, now we have this extra area. Okay, what can I do to fill up that space? You know, so back to like what, where I come in is that there's always that push and pull and like you're bargaining, you're like trading, okay, uh, you know, time. <laughs> and say, like, hey, how, how quick, there's always checking you're like, uh, you know, how soon to get the shot up, you know, five minutes, can I give, can you give me another? Or I say, oh, can I, can I get 10 minutes? He said, I'll give you five. Uh, and then, okay, and then okay. stuff like that. So there's a lot of um, uh, trading. It can create stress, which is, in some sense, right. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. It forces you to uh, simplify some of your, your lighting plans. It forces you to uh, combine things. And, and, and it, it makes you a better scimitar because then it also mm -hmm. forces you to, you know, improve your communication skills and, and communicate yeah. those things time time earned back is is important on mm -hmm. set if you everybody if it wraps early you know everybody's happy you know yeah <laughs> of course of course that seems to be like a common theme through our discussion which is that you can't do this work in isolation mm -hmm. it's extremely there's so many moving parts it's inherently like interconnected with all these other people trying to tell a story that mm -hmm. you kind of have to learn to communicate and make compromises and mm -hmm. negotiate so that's thanks for pointing that out that's really important so like back in like 1600s, I think 1500s, there's like this style of painting 
they use it's called like chiaroscuro oh, yeah, where they like really focus yeah, chiaroscuro, yeah. they really focus on like the light and then the contrast mm -hmm. of the shade. I noticed that you do that in a lot of your work in a very, to, to a beautiful effect, mm -hmm. uh, which makes it more dramatic and emotional. And then in like darker scenes, when you don't have that lighting, you still use the darkness, but you pop it with like colors, mm -hmm. which is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, so all that to say, like, it seems like you're pretty intentional about thinking about color and lighting. How, how do you think about that, generally speaking, when you're telling stories? I think it comes back to the 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 script and and the story that you're you're telling. I think as a cinematographer, you start to see the world in a certain way in terms of lighting and and like compositionally. The things that you gravitate towards, you might uh, hold on to that a little bit more. And sometimes those things start to appear more into you know your 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 projects. But it's it comes back to story and what works for it a lot of these subconscious things kind of come in and you start doing these things. And uh, I guess, mm, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is uh, subconscious. Huh, interesting. It sounds like the story guides you, but also there's some subconscious like aesthetic that mm -hmm. kind of drives you to do things in a certain kind of beautiful way. Yeah, so it's like uh, when you look at photographs, there are certain photographs that I like, certain photographers that I like, uh, their work, you kind of ask, so why, why do I like it? Sometimes it's the subject, sometimes it's the, the, huh. the texture, sometimes it's the, the lights and shadows and, and color. Sometimes it's just color, right? And it yeah. could be some really yeah. mundane subject, bicycles or, or, or whatnot. You learn to be very introspective. And I think as an artist, you have to be introspective. Um, mm -hmm. And you are introspective on, say, why you gravitate towards this, why do you like it? Oh, this is something that I think a lot of things maybe that I make or shoot can involve because I feel like this is how I see the world in some in some wow. in some in some way. And then from there you you learn to hey, how do I how do I achieve this kind of effect? What kinds of um this gets really technical, but like you, you understand the quality of light, so shadows, mm -hmm. uh the defineness of the shadows, the harder the shadows you know it usually means that maybe it's a small source of light very far away or if mm -hmm. there's a huge source near your face then your shadows get kind of softened and kind of disappeared right if you stand next to a big window you'll notice that maybe on when you're taking a photograph of someone oh the, the shadows are less are pretty much filled in versus like mm -hmm. you have this little small flashlight if you shine a flashlight at someone you're gonna get all these hard shadows so you're always yeah. like once you know what it is that you like and maybe you'll implement it into your stuff, you then you huh. then you also figure out how do I technically achieve those things. That is really that is really cool. Thank you for sharing that. So it sounds like to be intentional about your style, you have to be introspective, ask your questions about yourself, like why do I like this? Yeah. Tease out the reasons why mm -hmm. and then replicate that with the tools you have, mm -hmm. for example, flashlight or yeah. lighting. That's, that's really cool. Um, Chris, we made it to the end. And this is the last question. It's a spiritual question. You can answer however you want. Okay. Uh, so what, what's the meaning of your life? And does that have anything to do with what you're doing now as a DP? I think as long as I'm in a, in like a creative occupation in some shape or mm. form, I think I am doing what it is that maybe I was put here to do. I wouldn't say I'm a very religious person, but I think that there have been instances in my life that have made me think more about like why things happen the way they do, like the process, like 
how it play, play, you know, plays out, you know, and the choices that mm-hmm. we make. I think that there were certain things. So like my, like my father passed away a few, a few years ago. Uh, like suddenly, like I was in a very angry place. I was, yeah, I was in a, a, a fairly dark place. So my, pa- my dad passed away like right around like when Yappy was coming out. And uh, mm-hmm. Yappy was probably the first project where I, I definitely took a very serious approach to, oh, I, this, is, this is where I want to do. This is what I want to be. I think like when, when you have a certain loss of a person. Yeah. I think I, I, jo- I, I jog through this quite often, but uh, you, you tend to see things differently. I, I, don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but you do see things differently. You appreciate actually a lot of the imperfections. So I think I've grown to be less needy of, of finding, oh, this is the perfect way to do it. But hey, I'm okay right. with it. The, the imperfections. That's what's kind of shown me uh, in terms of the spiritual level that, that the, the, some of the greatest things about, you know, life um, is the imperfections, uh, the imperfections of human, uh-huh. you know, human nature, imperfections of the days. Sometimes you run into this really nasty person that day. And, but at the same time, it's like, you might, you might be like kind of taken aback or kind of uh, put off by it. But you also think about, oh, this person probably isn't normally a nice person, you know, and this person mm. could be going through something that day right. or at that moment, you know. You learn to not let those things affect you and you you learn that everybody's dealing with something every day. And I think this came back to like when my dad passed away. Uh, yeah. In the moment, I thought, oh, I'm very selfish. Like, it's like nobody understands what is going on. You know, nobody understands <laughs> how I'm feeling. You know, but then it's like people die all the time and people are yeah. experiencing loss all the time. It becomes an equalizer. I think coming back to kind of the stuff that I do and work is that like being being at Wong Fu, we have a very core audience, the Asian American audience. We are part of this Asian American creative movement in the industry mm-hmm. and that we all have like, in a sense, we all have kind of like a, a, a bigger purpose. Right. Because we can tell the story, because we are Asian Americans we can tell the stories in an imperfect way and that's okay. And it's sometimes like outside people feel like, Oh, uh, things need to be pristine in terms of the representation of, of, you know, certain aspects of the culture, but no, it's, it's okay that, that it is imperfect. And I think that that highlights the real, the realness, the, the authenticity yeah. of, of stories. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you for sharing that so transparently. I know it's extremely personal, but it's also extremely beautiful. It sounds like, what you got out of that experience was a deep generosity of spirit and a gratitude and grace, but it also sounds like it extends into your work because it's like uh, progress, not perfection, mm-hmm. as the saying goes. Right? Yes, it yes. kind of like lended itself, that grace lended itself into your work, which I think is amazing. So thank you so much. Yeah. I learned so much with you on the show today. <laughs> um, thanks for being great with your time. and and joining us. Where can uh, our listeners find you online or, or your work if they're interested in checking you out? My Instagram is Yangstopher, Y-A-N-G-S-T-O-P-H-E-R. And then my website is, uh, like you can find the, some of my works on uh, Christopher H. Yang, Y-A-N-G, uh, dot com. Mm-hmm. And like I'm um, uh, very closely with Wong Fu, so on all their channels, you know, uh, Wong Fu Production, you know, YouTube and Twitter and on what TikTok now, but I'm not on there as much. But yeah, <laughs> on YouTube, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. For sure. Thank you again, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Had covered our noise. So we sat, we said our see you later to the place. Hey folks, thanks for listening. I hope you learned as much as I did. I sure learned a lot. I wanted to thank our special guest, Chris Yang. Thank you so much for being on the show. As for today's music, I also wanted to thank Mark Dragisevich, Eric Chow, and yours truly me, uh, as well as my wife Clara, Clara Sa. Thank you all for being part of the show. And I don't really have much else, but I hope you all are staying safe, healthy, and maybe even creative. Alright, take care. The drinks we drink them as we pour them Not to forget, but so that we would not The waves, they were swishing back and forth The river made us clean and washed our sins away Always with you, you were alone, but we're never on your own. You were alone, but I was always with you.